Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. The 2-1 pitch. There's a fly ball hit out to left. Waiting is Jones. The Mets are the world champions. Gary Kuzman being mobbed. Look at this scene. He nearly tore this ballpark apart when the Mets clinched their division pennant against the Cardinals. Here's the Met locker room. The Mets had five runs, seven hits, no errors. The Orioles, three runs, five hits, two errors. Sport Magazine has declared Don Flynn as the outstanding player of the series. And he wins himself a new dog. And it was a come-from-behind victory for the Mets today. They were trailing 3-0. The celebration of the new world champions of baseball, the New York Mets, the final score. New York, five runs, seven hits, and no errors. Baltimore, three runs, five hits, and two errors. We're back, and joining me, Former Mets outfielder and member of the world champion in the New York Mets, 1969 Mets, Cleon Jones. Cleon has a new book out with Gary Kasechik. Uh, the book is Coming Home, My Amazing Life with the New York Mets. And Cleon, welcome to the program. And here's where I'll start. Old Timers Day is a week away. I expect to see you making diving plays. I know you're 80 years young, making some opposite field hits. I mean, listen, age is just a number, right, my friend? Well, yeah, it's just a number. Uh I can make all the diving plays you want, uh, as long as I'm sitting down, <laughs> I, can, I can I can handle it. <laughs> Are you looking forward to getting back to the ballpark and meeting up with a number of members in Mets history? And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, it's through many generations now. The Mets are 60 years old, so a number of memories. Uh, what Are you excited about the whole event? Well, it's always exciting to 
you get back to New York and get back uh, to the ballpark and see all of your your old friends, uh, uh, especially uh, Ed Cranepool. Uh, Ed, uh, we're two of the members uh, that started in 1962, along with some of the other guys that's going to be there, uh, Jay Hook and people like that. Uh, we'll get a chance to see Frank Thomas and uh, all of the old guys uh, who, who were there when when we got there. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, uh, it's always uh, great to get back into the game, uh, whether you're going to be on the field or not, uh, making catches, hitting home runs, uh, being part of a winning, winning unit. So I'm excited. Absolutely. And you mentioned Ed Cranepool. And, you know, I was looking back and it used to be the back of the baseball card. Now it's the baseball reference page. You look at the baseball reference page. A ball in 1963. The Mets were known to push you guys. You know, Ed came up as a teenager. You're 20 years old and they bring you up and you struggled in that September. And I'm curious, you know, you're literally almost just out of high school. and Here you are in the big leagues. That is such a tough transition for a young uh, player. Uh Talk about that. That's that's very unique how they put you. They don't do that in today's ball game. Well, uh, it, it, it's good because number one is that uh, you, you get a chance to see what it's like. You get a chance to be around uh, guys like Frank Thomas, Al Jackson, uh, Ken Boyer. You know, and and, and certainly that that's uh, that's a learning experience. Uh, you, you, when you when you're playing with guys your age and uh, at the same level, you you don't get to to see the caliber ball that uh, that you're going to be exposed to. But when you're around these guys, you, you can see uh, Al Jackson was uh, probably the best thing that ever happened to me in the big leagues because he uh, he kind of took me by the hand and, and showed me the way and, 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 and talked about the things that you have to look for and, and taught me uh, how to look at the game uh, – from a perspective of learning, uh, you, you know, you just don't pick up a baseball and a glove and go out there and play. It's a learning curve. And certainly when you have people to help you to do that, uh, it, it's great. So I, I'm thankful for that. Certainly, uh, Cranepool and myself, uh, came up, uh, 63 and, uh, we've known each other since 1962 when we both, uh, signed and we went to ball that year. So, <laughs> We're still around. We're still friends, and uh, we we have a lot of great moments to share, and we can brag about uh, the fact that we're still around, and and uh, uh, we we were there from the beginning. Absolutely, and it's funny you brought up Al Jackson because Keith Hernandez recently had his number retired and talked about Lou Brock and how instrumental Lou Brock was in his career as a young player. And today, it's you know the problem is a lot of veterans are losing jobs or retiring early because. Teams are looking at cost control. Oh, I could fill that spot with a kid at a AAA for a fraction of the cost. And I think you just brought up a really good point, how important as a young player to have a veteran. Maybe that veteran can't contribute at the level they used to. Maybe they're, you know, the numbers aren't there. But the uh, institutional knowledge that they pass along, and then you, I guess, would pass along later on in your career, is invaluable. And I think that's a really lost art. And I think hearing Keith talk about it recently, now you... Um, it's it, it's something that's critically important for young players coming up. Certainly is because number one is uh, uh, if that thirst for knowledge is, is there, uh, that's going to help you because uh, you, you're not going to you're not going to put your head down in the sand. You're going to keep your eyes open. You're going to watch 
uh, all of these great players that, that surround you, older players, uh, and, and certainly you're going to learn uh, some 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 uh, great lessons. Uh, but again, I, I get back to playing with guys on your same level, uh, your same age. Uh, you, you don't learn very much from 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 people like that. You learn from guys who 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 uh, experience uh, uh, like a Ken Barrier. Uh, like a Al Jackson and, and, and people like that, you 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 grow, you grow, and and certainly uh, uh, when I got there uh, to the big leagues, uh, uh, it was a tense moment. Uh, you don't know whether you belong or not, uh, but you'll always you're hopeful that uh, that you belong and that uh, someday that uh, you you'll feel just as comfortable <laughs> in the big leagues as a Ken Boyer, uh, Ron Hunt. Uh, uh, people who, who played during, during that era. Uh, today's players are a little bit different. Uh, uh, I think they know everything and, <laughs> uh, they, they, you know, it's teach, it's kind of tough to reach them. Uh, uh, certainly they don't know everything and, uh, they find out the hard way that they don't, but, but, uh, it, it just, uh, it's a different ball game. And, uh, their, their rationale is, uh, I, I got here uh, by myself, and everything I know I learned by myself, and I, I don't need someone to tell me, you know, how to improve, uh, how to make myself better. Yeah, it, that's, it, that's fine. it is absolutely a shame on that. I have Cleon Jones, former Mets outfielder, great book, Coming Home, My Amazing Life with the New York Mets, great book. Uh, you know, when you came back three years later, uh, you finished fourth in Rookie of the Year voting, so you really that that you know you had a couple of hits that that initial foray into the big leagues it didn't set you back you didn't go back down to the minor leagues it sounds like and felt sorry for yourself it, it's looking at the numbers it almost fueled you it took you a few years to get back there but when you were back you were established you never looked behind well no I I I, I you know uh, those years at uh, at, uh, at at Buffalo uh, uh, being around uh, you know. Uh, Sammy Drake, uh, Roadblock Jones, Dick Ricketts, Pompey Green, Joe Christopher, all those guys, man, uh, at, at Buffalo, uh, certainly helped me because I, I, I was able to profit from, from their experience in, in, in the big league. So when I, when I got, uh, to the big leagues, I, I knew that, uh, I belong, but I, I, I never, Never knew that uh, uh, you know each year is a different year and, and it's hard work and you got to keep applying yourself uh, if you're going to be my biggest thing. I, I wanted to hit uh, 300 and uh, I, I want to be noted as a pretty good hitter uh, and it, it's hard work because uh, the game is tough. Uh, concentration is 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 crucial. You, you got to believe in yourself. That's the only way you can concentrate on, on, on the other person because you believe in yourself. And uh, if you learn those things, then uh, uh, you're going to be all right because I tell every young player, uh, you're the toughest, toughest person that you're going to face. If you can defeat yourself and conquer your, your, yourself and your fears, then you're going to be all right because the other guy is not so hard. That's right. That's uh, Cleon Jones, former Mets outfielder, joining me. You remember your first big league hit? Could you still see it right now, all these years later? Well, it wasn't a hit that I wanted, but <laughs> I certainly remember 
uh, I guess uh, Bob Bowling, I believe, was uh, the Giants. Uh, uh, and and uh, uh, it, it was just uh, the first of many, but uh, certainly uh, you're never as great as, as you want to be uh, or you thought you should be uh, when you look back on your career. So I, I'm proud of what happened and proud to say that uh, I was able to be on a winning team for a World Series and and play All Star game and 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 be mentioned in the same breath as uh, Willie Mays and uh, when I'm not putting myself up there with a Willie Mays, uh, but uh, <clears throat> in All Star game uh, uh, talking about a Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, uh, Ron Santo, uh, Ernie Banks, uh, you know Pete Rose, I you know it, it, it's a uh, uh, it's a light to think about it. And sometimes I go back and look at old pictures and reminisce, and I feel young again. So, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Tommy Agee joining the team, a guy you played with in high school, I believe. Yeah. A very underrated player. Talk about you and Tommy in the outfield, and I mean, man, you know, uh, together. I think sometimes the Mets' offense, because of how great your pitching staffs were from 69 to 73. I think the two of you guys get a little bit overlooked about how good he was as a center fielder, uh, how good you guys were offensively, how important you guys were to that team. Uh, probably the two best hitters over there. I mean, before Don Clendenin came over and really brought you guys over the top. Uh, what about Tommy coming over and how that was? Was that helpful for you being that you have somebody that you grew up with now in the outfield in the big leagues? Yeah, exactly. I, uh, when I was told by, uh, General Manager, Mr. Murphy, that uh, as a possibility that uh, Tommy would be coming over <clears throat> uh, to the Mets, and uh, when I heard that, uh, man, I was uh, uh, excited about the two of us being in the same same outfield, and <clears throat> I knew he, how good he was as a center field, and uh, that, that I, I knew if he came over, then I wouldn't be back in center field. I could go to left or right. <laughs> That's where. <laughs> Uh, I thought I, my strength was, and especially at Shea, it was a tough, uh, it, it was a tough outfield to play, uh, in center field. And Tommy played it as good as anybody, uh, uh, Willie Mays. We, we had some great center fielders in, in the league, and, uh, nobody played, uh, Shea better than Tommy. And, and that, that's, to me, uh, what's the difference in 69 that we were so strong up the middle, uh, with Grody catching, Bud Harrison, at shortstop and Tommy Agee in center field that, uh, we, we were good defensively with all the great pitching that we had. Uh, we were, we were good defensive team. We didn't beat ourselves. And so it was tough for the other team to beat us. So, uh, you know, uh, when I think about my career, uh, I knew I owe a lot to Tommy and then he would say the same thing about me. 1969, everything came together. And before we talk about that team and, and what happened as a team, I don't know if you realize this, but you know, you could get stats, even though it, you know, you played many, many years ago, pretty much anything they could get stats out now. But from a statistical, you know, sabermetrics, wins above replacement, Cleon Jones' 1969 season is the seventh best overall season from a positional player in Mets history. That's better than Strawberry, David Wright seasons, Gary Cotter. Mike Piazza, that is impressive. And I don't think people understand how good that season was for you. Everything clicked. It was your career year. Not that you did, you weren't a good player else to other times, but that's where everything clicked. And 
I have to tell you, uh, you know, that's where I believe sometimes you're underrated. I don't think people realize how good you were that year, how important you were to that club, and how that season to this day, 60 years into the team's existence, is still a top 10 season for a positional player. I don't know if you realize that, but I'm telling it to you because it's not, it's right in front of me in black and white right now. Well, uh, it, it was a great season uh, because we, uh, 69, I really found out, well, 68, actually, I really found out a lot about myself. Uh, and uh, Tommy had a tough year that year uh, coming over from uh, from the American League, and and we talked a lot during the off season, and we worked out a lot with uh, the Aaron brothers, Tommy Tommy Aaron, Hank Aaron, Billy Williams uh, in the off season, and I, I I was geared up because I ended up hitting in '68, uh, I think two ninety seven or something like that, two ninety seven. Just miss it hitting 300, and that, that was my goal. So I promised myself uh, I'm gonna try to get off to a better start at 69. Uh, if I if I can do that, I know I can hit I can hit 300. But not not uh, being astute enough to to understand that we were going to be a good team, uh, both defensively and uh, we were a great offensive force. But we, we could manufacture on, you know, we, we, we could hit and steal bases and move the run over and hit and run and, and all those things that we could manufacture three or four runs a ball game with that pitching staff, we were going to win. And and so I managed to get off to uh, a pretty good start, and uh, I'm, I'm going to cut this short because I, I tell everybody, had, had I not broken – Three cracked three ribs that that year. I would have won the batting title. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that I, I would have won because <clears throat> I, I was in a zone that uh, every three at bat, three or four, every four at bats, I was in a, a hard ball somewhere, line drive or something somewhere, and you know that uh, that transition to hits. And when when I had that layoff for a couple of weeks with the cracked ribs. Uh, when I when I came back, I, I I just wasn't the same. I wasn't comfortable, and and my my batting errors kind of suffered a little bit. But uh, that's one on the bridge. <laughs> but but certainly, I can always look back and say, well, that's that was the reason. Uh, well, Pete Rose was the reason, and Clemente was the reason. <laughs> well, they, they were great players. Absolutely. 340 batting average, nothing to sneer at. Cleon Jones joining me. You know, I call it the innocent climb. Teams come together. They they start to be, you know, have success. And then usually there's failure. You fall just short. And then it's the next year in the buildup. But not you guys. You guys um, came out of spring training. Gil Hodges, the late Gil Hodges, who just got elected into the Hall of Fame, changed the culture. Your incident, and many years later, there's been so many, uh, I guess, pieces of misinformation about him taking you out of the ballgame. And I know you've talked about this ad nauseum, but, you know, many thought he was disciplining you. But it turns out it was far from that. But even I believe you've said, regardless of what the narrative was regarding him uh, pulling you out of that ballgame, it seemed to kind of spur you guys in some way. You know, play 700 baseball. I mean, think about that. 700. Seven out of 10 games. I don't think... Fans understand how hard it is at the professional level to play 550 baseball. Not much 700, 7 out of 10 games. And that incident seemed to spur you guys a little bit. Well, it was a discipline act, uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't uh, directed at me. 
it, it was directed at the, at the entire team. Uh, uh, and I tell everyone that I, I, I speak to about the 1969 Mets is that if not for Gil Hodges and Johnny Murphy, uh, that there would be no no world championship for the 1969 Mets. He conditioned that team from from spring training uh, forward uh, that that we could win and we would win, and, and uh, he, he kept us in position uh, uh, to to win ball games, and he, he did it in, in a way that <laughs> we as players didn't understand. Uh, and he told us from the beginning, if you don't beat yourself, it's difficult for the, uh, the other team to beat you. He didn't allow us to make mistakes. When I say mistakes, I'm saying uh, throwing to the wrong bases, uh, over, over, overshooting your cutoff man to put people in scoring position, to do all those things. And when when Gail was the kind of person that if uh, he wanted to talk to you or get something over to you, uh, it was one on one. He would call you into the office. He wouldn't. He he wouldn't embarrass you. And, I, and and he he knew that I was the person that could handle that situation. And it, it, it worked uh, for the whole team because at, at that point in time, I probably was hitting three sixty uh, when he came out on the field. And uh, everybody said I got upset and and tore up the clubhouse and did all those things. Uh, that was a lie, you know, because we had had a conversation prior to that uh, in Montreal, and I said, as long as I'm not hurting the team, uh, I want to stay in the lineup because I'm swinging the bat so good, and we agreed on that. But the field was was, was soaking wet, and uh, when he walked out there, and uh, he could see that, it, 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 you know, my shoes were wet and underwater, and his was also, and he said, don't you think it it's best that you come out of the ball game today. So I said, "You, you the manager. Uh, let's do it." And and uh, so I didn't think any more of it until uh, the paper the next day saying that uh, I was loafing and that uh, uh, I wasn't hustling and all of those kind of things. But I I, I knew the deal. I, I knew what was happening. And suddenly, all of these other guys, Seaver, Kuzman. AG, uh, you know, go on and on. Uh, Crane Pool, you know, talk went around the clubhouse. Man, we better pick it up, man. Uh, if he if he go out on the field on Jones, you don't know, <laughs> you know, you don't know what he'll do for us. Uh, this man leading the league, and he did that, you know. But he 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 made a point, and it was it was it was the turning point of the season, and it, it was a genius, uh, ingenious act. And, and 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 when you look at it from my perspective, and, and from some of the other perspectives on the team, uh, it, it was a turning point in, in, in our year, and he he, he woke us up because Houston had, had put us to sleep. Uh, you know they was putting it on us pretty good, scoring that wheel, and and we were sitting there just taking it, and he didn't allow that to happen. So I know I rambled a little bit on that, but uh, if not for Gail Hodges, uh, you're not talking about the 1969 Mets. Absolutely. And the and the, the famous uh, photo of you catching that fly ball. Now, 
off the bat, you know, maybe there's a baseball gods. Maybe there, you know, look, Shea Stadium, now City Field, there's that wind and cold weather in April and October. Very hard to get the ball out of the ballpark. But David Johnson's fly ball, if you look at that off the bat, that looked pretty deep. And I, I think there'd probably be a number of people said, ah, oh, no, there's a home run. Here you are. Now, think back. I, I mean, I know it's many years ago. Could you picture right now the ball off the bat, you drifting back? What's going through your mind? And did you think that, you know, oh, this looks like it might go and and, and, and they're going to break our hearts here? Yeah, well, I'll I tell you one thing. Uh, David David Johnson, uh, when he was in the Met organization, uh, we, we, we were roommates. <laughs> and we talk about this almost every night uh, after practice and things. And he said it was the hardest ball he ever hit in his life. So I, I, you know, I maintain the fact that it, it was just a weak fly ball. And, and Kuzman said to me repeatedly that, uh, when he hit it, he thought it was a home run. But when the ball went up, I took two steps back and I realized the ball was in front of me. I, I, I never made it to the warning track. So I, I, you know, it, 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 it uh, to me, it was just a, just a fly ball. And maybe he had he had a great swing on the ball and all that, but evidently you know it hit the wrong wrong part of the bat. Uh, maybe towards the end a little bit, uh, uh, too much up towards the handle, because he he didn't he didn't really get all of it. Uh, but it, but it looked like it uh, when it came off the bat to Kuzman and and David Johnson and others. But when the ball went up, uh, I knew it was over, and when it when it got up and I said, come on down, baby. Uh, <clears throat> you know, come on down, baby. Come on down, baby. And I, you know, kneeled and caught the ball and I kneeled and said a little prayer uh, because it was over. And I, it was fitting that I caught the last out. And that's that's my claim to fame. <laughs> well, when you when you catch that out, do you think back to playing as a kid? And and I was actually reading. Tell me if this is true that you were uh, the reason you didn't lefty is because you were losing too many baseballs in the childhood field that you played in. Were you thinking back to those those days when you're young and when you have these dreams? And you know, there's so much a player has to go through between you know high school, they go to college, minor leagues, you know, and then getting up to the big leagues and getting around the league a couple times, like. It is so hard. That was was some of those things coming through your mind if you make that catch yeah, and everything. All those things, all those things uh, came to mind, and, and suddenly uh, uh, winning the World Series uh, right away. It wasn't about me. It was about my hometown. It was about all the people in my, home, my hometown. Uh, that, that that was a moment for, for for me and my family, but it's also uh, a moment for my hometown uh, sharing and and and. and uh, Thinking about and not the mess at the morning World Series, uh, Africa Town. <laughs> we just won World Series, and and uh, you go back to all your childhood, your childhood, and all of the guys that you played with, like a James Bradley, a Saint, uh, Ivana Penn, uh, James Snell, uh, L.P. Knight, uh, Clyde Gray. All of those names came, you know, uh, to the forefront. Because they, they were the reason that I was there, and they was the reason that I was uh, good enough to make it to the ma- major leagues, not winning the World Series. Yeah, it, it uh, all of those things uh, come to the forefront. 
in the book you call 1970 the most disappointing season. And I know you you were a big part of the Mets getting back to the World Series in 73, but a lot happened both for you and the team that you just couldn't replicate that. I'm assuming the expectations rose. You know, Yogi Berra, there was, you know, it was a polarizing manager coming over. You are, and you've talked about in the book, you had an unfortunate incident uh, that the Mets handled very poorly where you were trying to help uh, somebody, and you, uh, you know, w- it, with the van incident. So many things happened, and, and it doesn't seem to have bittered you about 69 and your Mets experience. But um, looking back, uh, you know, ha- you know, you handled it seemed very well now. You know, you're back with the organization. You've worked for the organization. There's a lot of things that went not so great after the miracle. Um, but you seem to have taken the high road on all of them, and I give you a ton of credit on that. Well, it, it, you know, it, it's tough to repeat. Uh, I, I think had Gil, Gil Hodges lived, uh, that, 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 you know, it would have been some repeats. We, we would have won at least one or two more World Series. Uh, I know we've been in, in contention. Um, and, and, and certainly, uh, 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 I say my amazing life with the Mets because it was amazing. Because it, it, it was a first-class organization with with uh, Mr. Patient, Mr. Grant, Johnny Murphy, and all of those folks uh, was part of it. Uh, winning comes from uh, the top down, and uh, when they got Gill, they, they were able to put all, all the pieces together. And let's not forget that that coaching staff with uh, Rube Walker, Pig Matana, Eddie Yotes. Uh, uh, they, they they played a major role in in, in, in what, what happened in, in those years. Uh, but uh, it, it, you you can't you, you know it's tough to repeat because you got to stay injury free. You know, number one, uh, you, you, everybody uh, got to come to the ballpark each and every day, healthy and ready to play uh, to give their all. Uh, and in 70, 70, 71, we, we had a lot of injuries, uh, a lot of key components that, that, that were missing. And, and certainly, uh, that, 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 that took its toll. Uh, but in 70, 73, uh, with, with Yogi, uh, we didn't have, a, uh, we had a good team, but we, we didn't, we, we didn't have a great team, uh, with Willie Mays and, 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 and all of the guys. But, uh, and I, I think we should have won that. But I talk about all that in the book and try to explain uh, my thinking uh, as, as things happened, you know, at that time and, and try to give people my perspective of, of what I thought should have happened and what didn't happen. Uh, and if you read the book, uh, I think you'll come to the same conclusion. Yep. Absolutely. You get you illuminate many years later on, on, on things. And I think people forget, I mean, the Orioles, the Reds, the A's, the Pirates in between. These are all time great teams with Hall of Famers like Clemente and Pete Rose. I mean, just accomplishing, uh, you know, it's like, you know, I'm an NBA fan, you know, during the Michael Jordan era. So many teams just could not get over the hump because he was just better than them. And you guys beat an all-time team in the Reds. You beat an all-time team in, in the Orioles. You didn't beat the A's, but that was an all-time team. And there's no shame in that. And the Pirates, you know, people forget Pittsburgh was a pretty tough team in your division uh, as well, um, you know, that wound up having a really good decade there in the 70s and won a couple of times. So I think it's not just you guys. It's the competition was pretty fierce. 
Yeah, Prince Fields. Yeah, Pittsburgh offense was was as good as anybody. You know, uh, uh, look what the Braves had uh, when we beat them. So yeah, it, we we beat some good teams. Uh, and that's what you have to do. You know, uh, to to be champions. Uh, that's what you have to do. You know, to to be champions. Certainly, uh, our equalizer was 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 a good equalizer. Uh, Mike Trout was a good Absolutely. A couple of things before I let you run. First, many forget that you were an instructor, a hitting instructor in the early 80s with the Mets. You had a chance to work with some guys who wound up winning the other championship in team history in 86. Lenny Dykstra, Wally Backman, Kevin Mitchell, who turned into, if not for injuries, probably would have even been a better uh, player. Uh, real quick, I mean, talk about that. Maybe your hitting philosophy, you know, and if a player, I know you said players today don't like getting advice. And obviously, you know, maybe they're not really in touch with history, which is a shame. And I think the Mets are trying to change that. But what is your hitting philosophy? And what do you tell players today if you had one piece of advice about hitting that you could pass along? Well, my, my thing is, uh, you know, I, I try to uh, look at a player and, and see what the adjustments are. I, I don't I don't tell anybody how to hold your hands, uh, 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 what stance you want to take. I, I just take what you have and try to uh, adjust to it. Uh, 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 Kevin Mitchell, uh, Lena Dystra, uh, they were good students. Uh, they were eager to learn. And, and, uh, when, when you take them out and to do extra batting practice, uh, uh, they couldn't get enough of, of what you told them and, 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 and the progress that they were making. Uh, but, but there, there's other guys who, who, especially, you know, kids that gone to college and had some success. Those are ones that, that can't, they can't make the adjustment. Uh, everything is wrong. The bat's too heavy. Uh, uh, you know, they got all kind of excuses. But when you come to, to the plate with all, uh, all those kind of excuses, that, that's when the problem arises. Uh, uh, there, there were a couple of catchers in, in, in the organization who, with the good defense catcher, uh, we wanted to, the organization wanted to release them. I, I tell it, I tell it and everybody that the easy part of the game is, is hitting. Uh, so you, you can't, <laughs> you can't teach a person to be a Tommy AG in the outfield, uh, Willie Mays, uh, uh, Bud Harrison, that shortstop. But you can teach, you can teach almost anybody to hit if they, if they're willing to listen. Uh, because number one is that you, you, you know you can play the game because you played it all your life. You just haven't refined your skills enough uh, to make the adjustment where, where you can play. Because it's all about you. It's, it's never about the pitcher. The pitcher just released the ball. And once he released the ball, you're in, you're in control. Uh, but you, most of us are not in control 
because we, we, we're hitting the pitcher rather than the ball. The ball tells you what to do. That's where you're on offense, defense. Uh, it doesn't matter where you are. The ball tells you what to do. If you're a shortstop, you can't move before you see the ball. If you're an outfielder, you can't move, you can't move before you see the flight of the ball. And, and if you do, you're going to get beat most of the time. The same way hitting, you have to adjust off the ball. And that, that, that's, that's what I teach. Uh, adjusting off the ball, uh, using, uh, your hands more than your body because your body just gets in the way. Uh, so, I mean, I can go on and on talking about hitting, but it, 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 if you're not afraid of the ball, uh, and if you're in control of your faculties, anybody can hit. I, I, I totally understand that. Very interesting. I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the work you're now doing in your retirement, working on refurbishing homes for seniors in Africatown, which you had mentioned uh, uh, in Mobile, Alabama. You, know, you talk about uh, the history of the area, which I think a lot of people are not aware of, and, and you wanting to bring awareness to that. And I, and I think that's important. I think good, bad, or indifferent, we should understand our history and learn from it so we can be better. And from what I took away is that's what you're trying to bring about with what some of the things you're doing in retirement. So for the listeners, I mean, give them an idea. I know they'll read about it in the book. You have a whole chapter about it, but I think it's important for them to understand why you're doing it and the importance of us understanding and learning from history um, because we're Africatown is, is, is a big part of this uh, country's history uh, right. for many reasons. Yeah, well, when I, I tell everybody, uh, 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 certainly Africatown is, is the uh, place where the last uh, enslaved people were brought to uh, in, in 1859 or 60. And uh, these people were able to stay uh, because they, it, it, it was uh, piracy. Uh, they were taken against their will, and the people who brought them over here uh, uh, hid them out until the Civil War was over. And, and they, they, then they brought them uh, uh, to Africatown, where uh, there was already a community there, a, a black settlement, so to speak. And they filtered those people in, in, in that area. And these people work uh, to grow a nice uh, historic community uh, uh, that was uh, family uh, friendly. Uh, people love uh, and work with one another to build houses and to help people to transition uh, to whatever whatever they they wanted to do. <clears throat> Uh, so there I come with Cleon Jones, uh, with my family, uh, who had been there for years and suddenly, uh, 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 we, we grew, uh, the kind of community that we need today, uh, a community that worked together, uh, to help build, uh, school churches and things of that nature. Uh, so I, I'm proud of that, uh. But right now, when I grew up, when I grew up, it was over 16, 14 to 16,000 people in, in, in Africa town. Now it's only 2,000. Uh, it's a dying community. So I'm, what I'm trying to do now is rebuild a community, uh, build homes, uh, fix, fix up homes, uh, remodel homes, and, uh, and, and eradicate uh, blight and th- things of that nature. 
uh, that, that's what I do every day to rebuild this community, uh, a community that that made a plea on Jones. And certainly, uh, I'm just trying to give back. Uh, I can never give this community what it was able to give me, but I can certainly try. And that, that's the, that's my goal is is to do the things that uh, we've talked about and, and make sure uh, some other kid uh, get a chance uh, because of what I'm doing today, uh, get a chance to play in the big leagues, whether it be basketball, football, I'll be a doctor, a lawyer, or whatever. So uh, people frown because it, it, you're talking about uh, history, a history of uh, slavery and uh, slave owners and whatever's well, then. Uh, I, I'm not responsible for what my great-great-grandparents did. Uh, maybe it was legal uh, for them to do whatever they did at that time. What I am responsible for is me and what I do at this time. So I, I'm a forgiving person. I don't, I don't forget, but I do, I forgive to, uh, to try to move forward to make this, this world a better place. So, uh, <clears throat> the, the male family, uh, that were responsible for bringing, uh, the Africans over here, uh, they, they, they did, uh, sort of a service because, uh, it, 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 the history is still here. The history is motivating the community now. Uh, slavery uh, is forgotten. Uh, hopefully it's gone. And, and, and uh, <clears throat> we, we just all work together. Uh, whether you uh, grand great-great-granddaughter or the mayor or the great-great-granddaughter or Susie Willis Henson, which is my folks, we can all get together now and make a better out of the town and, and move forward. Absolutely. That's great work. And I think the fact that you're also helping seniors, sometimes we forget about those who have, uh, you know, been a big instrumental part in our communities. And I think that's great stuff. And uh, look, we're looking forward to seeing you at Old Timers Day, Cleon. You were very generous at your time. The book is coming home. My Amazing Life of the New York Mets. So much stuff that you clarify in an era of Mets history that is starting to get forgotten a little bit because... Obviously, the younger fans are, are more in tune maybe with the last 25 years, but I think you've done your part about bringing it back, and we're looking forward to seeing you next Sunday. Thanks again, and uh, I, I hope to catch up with you again. All right. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, be blessed. That Cleon Jones. Be well, my friend. Cleon Jones, former Mets outfielder, member of the 1969 New York Mets. The book is Coming Home, My Amazing Life with the New York Mets. All right. Let's take a quick break, wrap up. I'll react to Cleon Jones and uh, some of his comments, and uh, we'll wrap up this latest edition of the Talking Mets podcast right after this. Managing the Mets is hard. Following an icon like Gil Hodges, even harder. John Pessa, author of the book Yogi Berra, A Life Behind the Mask, talked about that on the Talking Mets podcast. You know, obviously they won, they respected Gil, and they liked Gil enormous, uh, enormously. 
Um, but, you know, there certainly was a segment of the team which was like, okay, you know, this is like playing in the army and you're taking the joy out of it. And here comes Yogi, who just believes, look, if you're in the major leagues, you should know how to play baseball. And my job is to make things, put everyone in the right position to succeed over a long schedule, not for a week, not for a month, but for the long 162 uh, schedule. And so there were, there were uh, players who really responded to that kind of um, a manager. And, uh, you know, they loved playing for him. Um, you know, some, he got in, you know, there were some things like Cleon Jones who, who created problems for him. And he had, a, you know, a, um, an up and down relationship with Tom Seaver and Rusty Staub, who was the star outfielder. Um, and stars are, you know, that's really what managing is all about is trying to get your, you know, if you can get your stars on board, um, then you're, uh, you know, then you're halfway there, and he was able to do that. Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. Uh, really enjoyed Cleon Jones, and uh, you know, there the biggest takeaway I had from that interview is. And I hope that it's changing because what you're seeing with the Mets right now, how like a Lidor, how he's talking or Canna, they talk to the next guy up about what the pitcher's throwing and how Max Scherzer, and there was an article, a great article in the Post this week about how Max Scherzer's really been able to be this assistant pitching coach for the Mets staff. And I think you, seeing how guys like Peterson and maybe some of these young guys coming up, McGill before he went down, perform and, and, and do probably better than you expected especially Peterson, you have to think the impact of having this coffee clutch of Scherzer and Bassett and McGill and Peterson and, and the sharing of information that goes on. When you hear Cleon talk about the veterans that he came up and learned from, and you hear Keith Hernandez talk about Lou Brock and the, the, the impact Lou Brock had on him, and then you think about how teams are moving away from veterans on their roster. You know, this is where an Eduardo Escobar, even though if he's hitting a buck ninety-eight left-handed, this is where guys like that are so important, especially when you have younger players like a baby. I know the Mets are a, a mainly a veteran team, but even guys like McNeil and Pete, who have only been in this league three or four years, uh, I know they had you know guys like Todd Frazier and whatnot when they came in a couple of years back. It's really important to have those kind of guys, and I think it's really important as a player. to always pay it forward. I know that's a a narrative and a corny saying, but the more I hear guys like Keith and now Cleon Jones talk about the impact that veterans had, I hope that that's not something being lost in today's game with all the data training, video training. And look, teams, especially teams that are uh, younger teams or teams that aren't contending, you know, they may just throw out, you know, some guys saying, hey, you know, why should I pay this veteran to be on the team. But you know what? That institutional knowledge they have can help, you know, in some way, shape, or form this player develop to the best version of what they are at that point. And I'm sure pass it along. It's it's almost like the old telephone game. And hopefully that information being passed along is positive and 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 does move the game forward. So it really brought to light something that may be getting lost because of the financials of the game because of the way the game is being looked at analytically, you need these kind of veterans, the Eduardo Escobars of the world, or the kind of players that are willing to give of themselves and what they've been taught by people that they've come up through or their 
whether it's the organization they're with now or other organizations, people that have taught them something about the game that has helped them become a better player. So that's one of the big takeaways as I hear Cleon. And it sounds like as a player that is in an era that's really hard for today's players to identify with. I mean, Keith Hernandez is a guy that I watched growing up, and I think he's starting to get a little dated. You know, these guys get dated. And even guys like Piazza and Alfonso, I mean, it's been over 20 years since the Mets went to the World Series with Piazza and Alfonso. I mean, time flies. Um, But that doesn't mean these guys don't have value, and I think that that's something, um, you know, that I took away. And then his work on trying to save his town, a very small town there in Alabama, Africa town, and how the positive attitude he's taken, not only with some of the the bad history that comes from, uh, you know, unfortunately how that town was was brought up, but also some of the negative stuff that happens in with the Mets, some of it very wrong, uh, some of it just, you know, misunderstanding of who this player was. And the fact that all these years later, he's able to share it, share it productively without any bitterness without any access to grind, wound up working for the Mets organization as a hitting instructor in the 80s and and also has been, he's inducted to the Mets Hall of Fame in 1991. And, and really, I believe he's also helping a little bit with the Hall of Fame committee. I mean, the fact that he's able to continue along and feel really good about his relationship with the Mets, even after all that stuff that went on, shows you what kind of person he is, what kind of character. I mean, really doing good work. And and I've always felt, and I in that's part of this show we always talk about. History is not meant to be erased. History, whether it be American history, baseball history, history is meant to learn from, whether it's good or bad. And you could either use it as a way to uh, improve yourself, and some of the bad stuff you can use as a way to say, hey, this is what we got to do better and move forward. And I think today we have, and I listen to Cleon. It's either we don't want to learn from our from our past. Uh, from our past because, well, that's the past. We don't need to, I know everything. The world didn't start in 1995, guys. The world didn't start when the internet was created. It started a long time before. And some good stuff has happened and some bad stuff has happened. But guess what? We can learn from it all. That doesn't mean that because it was bad or because that guy played in the 60s, he doesn't have value to the game today. Not everything is on a iPad. So... That's my little two-minute rant, so I want to thank everyone tuning in. Again, I wanted to dedicate this show to my beloved friend, my chihuahua, my 15-year-old chihuahua, Chico. Thank you so much for, unfortunately, even though he's 15, five really good years, the strength, the courage, the fortitude, the positive attitude you showed, even when you would dealt the bad hand, uh, is something that I will always remember, and I think it's a real theme of this Mets season, so I really wanted to tie it into a baseball theme and if there's anything I could tell you guys if you're out there whether it be a family member a child a dog a pet whatever uh, the learnings that I continue to get as I go along with some of these tough situations I've experienced here in 2022 is time goes by fast sometimes we need to savor it savor this meant season we don't know where it's going to come and where it's going to go but savor it because uh, what's the old saying you don't know it's the good old days until they're gone Sometimes I feel like I've learned that lesson a couple of times this year with personal situations and things that have happened to me. So, all right. want to thank everybody for tuning in to the latest edition of the Talking Mets podcast. I want to thank Cleon Jones for joining us. I want to thank Bill over at Triumph Books for setting that up. Thank you, Bill. You always do great stuff. You always help me out. So I appreciate everything that you've done. You could check me out all the time at the Talking Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. 
and the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And I want to thank the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network as well as RisingApple.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the Subway series. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 